This week, and out now with Aaron and Abe, we're recording our 400th episode. Bum, ba, bum, 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 bum. Fanfare, fanfare, crowds. Aaron, Aaron, look over here. Click, 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 click. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I want to go, don't show we are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, as always, this is... Abe, hi! Hello. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, this is our special 400th episode. And yeah, we are... A lot of things have happened. <laughs> and we're currently in a position where new movies weekly is not too prominent at this moment. But instead, for our 400th episode... Uh, we're going to be talking about the best films of the decade, 2010's edition. Um, that's the plan. According to us. Yeah, that's the that's the plan for this week's episode. Um, we can talk about other things later on as far as what's coming up next. But for now, that is the plan for this uh, this 400th episode Spectacular, which I, uh, I'm very excited to do. Abe, are you excited? Oh, I'm pretty excited. I mean, we have a great group of guests here. For sure. And speaking of said guests, to discuss the best films of the decade with us, we have from Awards Circuit... Before midnight, he'll have a certified copy of this Martian's arrival at Manchester-by-the-Sea. It's Mark Johnson. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on, guys. Also joining us, from Lenoir Artur, his tree of life given whiplash after driving his holy motor into the spotlight, it's Terrence Johnson. <laughs> Hello. Hey, guys. Long time no chat for uh, Mark Johnson. I-, I missed you, buddy. Yeah, it's been a while. How you been? Terrence, always great to have you on. Yeah, I haven't talked to you, Mark, in a minute as well. I know. It's been a while. Look at the Johnson, Johnson boys back together. Yeah, yeah. reunions happen. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> happening. Uh, but no, good to have you guys here. I uh, I chose you guys specifically because you've both made comprehensive lists of the 100 best films in your guys' opinion of the decade, uh, which I thought was quite fitting. Uh, it makes for a good topic for this week's show as far as uh, doing some kind of milestone celebration and just going over the decade, which uh, Abe and I, we've talked about doing in the past to some degree, and here we are in a good position to get into all of that. Um, and yeah, as mentioned, that's what we're going to do. We're going to... We have kind of two halves designed for this show, where, where the four of us are going to go over our top ten films of the decade, um, and then we're going to discuss the kind of the decade in general, which uh, I think is going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, that's really all we're going to do here, so we, we can just kind of get into it. Yeah, and as, and as we begin here, just uh, I'd love to hear about how you guys created your list and, and thought process behind it, and if you guys found some emerging themes, as it were. Ooh, what a question. <laughs> it's a good it's good like pre during and then post question too yeah like i what i started with was all of my top tens from every film year in the decade mm-hmm. um and i built like you talk about a comprehensive list like the list of films that i built to like rank was like 250 so i pulled from top tens thank goodness letterbox you know appeared <laughs> on the scene because I actually started pulling from other movies that I had seen, or I would think about like what sort of made an impact on me in the decade. Um, and then from there, I ranked them. I started pitting them against each other and then ranked them in like different tiers. So like my top 20 is what I consider like the God tier. If like, this is the best of the best. And then I will, you know, agonize over the order forever. <laughs> um, but from there, I saw it went like great, really good, and good. 
And then, yeah, I had to make some hard cuts. It, I really struggled with what to do about 2019 um, mm-hmm. because I didn't have the distance from it like I did other years. But then I also struggled with like 2010 because that, you know, we've lived a lifetime in a week uh, <laughs> this week. So, you know, imagining what 10 years ago was like, it was, was really hard. So that's sort of how I, I built it out. Terrence, you couldn't hear me, but I was snapping when you when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, how about you? How'd you go about making your list? Uh, very, very similar to what Terrence kind of just mentioned. Just started with a very large list. Um, I went back for the last about 15 months or so. I've been re-watching all the main contenders that I thought would make the list. And mine, mine wasn't as large a list, I think, to start from as Terrence had. I had about 150. Um, but basically, I just watched each one and just kind of sorted the list very similar to him in tears and just kind of thought to myself, if I could only include this film or the one before it, which one would I remove? Which one would I keep? That that way it kind of helped me start creating that list from 100 to 1. You know, and there's a lot of things you take into consideration. How much do you like the movie? I think that that's kind of the biggest thing for me is what did what did it do for me? How did it move me? Um, you know, there's other things I considered while watching it, like how well is it put together? The direction, the acting, the writing, cinematography score, all those all those components. What which films had lots of elements that that make it memorable? And then lastly, the the third thing I mostly considered was just what's the legacy I see behind this film? Uh, where will it be in 10, 20 years? And then just kind of put it together that way. Um, I might have had the longest <laughs> list that I had to cut down from because I know I had over like 300 films uh, going through all of this. Like I had my top tens and then I've had a lot of just <laughs> looking at like years of uh, other films that I've since appreciated more than might have landed up on my top ten in those years or just movies that I, you know just really want to like keep in mind as far as what kind of impact they have, which yeah, speaks to kind of the legacy aspect that Mark was just bringing up. And I do think rewatchability plays a role as well. Not entirely. Like there's some films on here that I've seen once, but I just know that I completely uh, just find to be fascinating and, and still think about, even if I've, you know, only have one viewing of them, but as far as kind of putting it all together. Yeah. I mean, you have a giant list and making, <laughs> cutting it down to a hundred was ridiculous. Ranking it was somewhat easier to a degree. Um, but I mean, I did have a lot of fun doing it. I mean, it, it took a number of weeks to kind of really get everything kind of settled and place it in order. And as far as just kind of that determination, it just comes down to everything that you guys have just said, as far as evaluating said films based off like what merits I see in them and all kinds of aspects of filmmaking, uh, rewatching some of them here or there. Um, and just, yeah, doing the kind of the work needed to uh, make a list that I felt appropriate for me to publish. And uh, I'm very, I'm very happy with it. I'm very happy with how it came out. Some of the ranking is not necessarily negligible, but like it's splitting a lot of hairs when it comes to some of these films, but overall, I'm, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the process that I was happy to kind of get into. Mm-hmm. Dave, how about you? What did you? What have you done? Yeah, for the most part, what I did was I took a look at the um, I took a look at lists that uh, from authors that that jive with me that have sort of similar viewpoints. And Mark Johnson, I wish that I had uh, I really wish that I had done what you did, which is go back and actually revisit these films. Um, but essentially, what I did was I looked at each decade. Um, as a single unit, you know, years, I mean, I'm sorry, articles and stuff written from that year and kind of jogged my memory. Um, but as I was putting together my list and then compiling things, um, what I started taking a look at was, yes, movies that moved me and the movies that I had an emotional connection to, um, but also movies that 
that lingered with me because of a technical aspect or something like that, which I thought was like very unique about it. And so my list is is comprised of uh, surprisingly like movies that large and small and in scale and, and nature. But there are specific reasons why I have it on there and why it was to me impressive for the decade. So I compiled this list as. Yes, my my love of movies and cinema, but also as a hey, wow, you know, hey, I really want to congratulate you on something that that you achieved that, you know, at least I want to recognize. So it kind of is is um, subjective and a little bit. Um, well, I guess it's all subjective, but it's a little bit more of uh, not just um I wish that I had like a duel to death and like a face mash like uh, what like what Terrence did, but um, uh, it certainly is a, a unique list I'd say, but still one that that rings true. I mean, when you hear these things, Aaron's definitely gonna be like, "Yep, I definitely had that on Abe's. I t- I would have tacked that up for Abe's top ten list." Yeah, I'm very, I'm certainly the most. I mean, mainly because I've seen the other lists of you guys and I I don't know what <laughs> Abe has, so I'm I, I'm certainly curious what's gonna end up in there. I have my own thoughts on what I, some of the ones I expect to be in there, but we'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> All right. But yeah, with that in mind, I think we're we good to go here. We're good to get into the Yeah, the let's do time. it. All right. Excited. Uh well, uh Mark, let's start with you. What what is your number ten film of the twenty tens? I don't know about you guys, but I think I had the hardest time deciding what would take the number ten spot. Because as I'm creating this hundred list, you know, you know the top ten is kind of the short list of what you'll talk about. So um I had a real hard time between three films and even took it to Twitter where I took it down to two and then took it to Twitter for a, just to see what people thought. And it was 50, 50 on that end as well. So, um, I ended up going with the one that I think maybe meant more to me personally. Um, and that was spotlight. Hmm. I'm a big fan, of big fan of spotlight. That was the first, uh, my first year at Telluride. That was the big movie that went on to win best picture. And I think there's a little sentimental factor for that reason. Um, but I also really, really love that movie. It was my number one of that year. And, and whatnot as well it's a it's a great film um i remembering just like when it won best picture and the kind of like because it only what one screenplay right was that the only other yeah Oscar one yeah and, and just kind of the and i think a lot of us were settled into it's going to be the revenant like we know it's good and and uh, then i forget who read it do you know who read it offhand the who presented no, it. I don't it, it, it doesn't presented. matter uh but just like hearing spotlight <laughs> i was like oh <laughs> like, okay like yeah. that's that quite the thing and then michael keaton gets up and he's like yeah and it was just like it was uh quite a moment yeah uh terrence what's your number 10 film so i too had a real challenge with what was going to be number 10 um spotlight is actually my number 11 film so whoa yeah it was so you're getting johnson boys at work yeah, so <laughs> and that's probably it, the closest we'll agree on anything. <laughs> yeah, it was really tough. Um, but I went with uh, the way he looks, which is a 2014 um, Brazilian film about a blind kid, a blind teenager in high school, um, and his growing relationship with a new classmate. It's one of the few. Actually, let me look. Maybe the own one of two really feel good movies in my top 10 now that i'm looking at my list all of this shit is depressing um and it just like it's so well made and like you just get to the end of that movie you can't help but smile and so it has increased you know in my estimation 
since I saw it in 2014. Like if I were to re-rank that list, 2014 was like a really good film year for me. Um, it would probably, it would be number one. Um, I originally had boyhood. It was like boyhood Foxcatcher, uh, and the way he looks were like some combination of that was like one, two and three. But over the, over the years, I watched the way he looks a little more. 2014 is the year that has the most films on my top 100 for some reason. Yeah, I was surprised by that. But there, <laughs> I mean, look, looking at it, there's just a lot of good movies there. Um, well, yeah, the way he looks. I, I need to check that out. <laughs> I need to check that out, too. Yeah, yeah. you're selling me here. Abe, what's your number 10? Yes. My number 10 film is a 2015 movie. Um, it is Tangerine. Um, and the reason why I chose this is because when I think back on the decade and I think about how this movie was made, it was shot on an iPhone 5S, which to us now is like ancient material. It was edited on Final Cut Pro 7. It's this movie that is like this beautiful orange tint to it. It's hilarious, but it also features like this trans character as its main lead. Um, and it's a movie that when you think about the simplicity of what they were showing you here, but it's so involved in L.A. and it's also so involved in the way that um, the story is being unfolded. And you start to realize that there's just like so many disparate characters that really make it a whole. It's a movie that I think about and I th- I've thought about this movie all the time. And, and whenever people ask me, like, hey, what should I watch? tonight?" I'm always like, you should watch Tangerine. Um and never, no one has ever taken my, my advice, but it is a movie that I still think about because of how good it is on an emotional impact of, you know, self-worth, but then also just how it was made. And it was made in a very unique way. I mean, I, I tell you movies to watch all the time that for years that you haven't watched. So I, mean, I, I know. Ida, <laughs> Cold a, War. It's quite the f- <laughs> movies that are generally like 80 minutes <laughs> would take you no time. <laughs> Uh, Tangerine number 83 on my list. It's in there. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it made it. <laughs> it made the cut. It's a, good, it's a great movie. <laughs> um, my number 10 film, I exactly agree with you guys, with, uh, with the Johnson boys. Um, it, it was hard to be like, this is the one that leads it off. And I look at this, and I look at like my top 10 list, and there was a, there's a number of num- films I had as the number one of the year that are all in the top 20. Where this one, I don't think it even was in my top ten, but it's certainly grown in estimation. It's a most violent year, um, the J.C. Mm. Chandor film um, mm-hmm. with uh, Oscar Isaac, who I think is one of his many great performances of the decade here. It's one that has stuck with me as far as what it's tra- what it's trying to do in terms of presenting a, a man who's he's self-made, he's an immigrant, he is facing all kinds of struggles all around him, trying to keep his business legitimate. And it gave me this great '70s vibe of like, of like, like, uh, like a Cindy Lamette film, or, or any number of things that kind of get you in that kind of thrillerish territory, while still having this like sense of professionalism about it. Uh, even like the more recently, like think of like the Safdie brothers in like Uncut Gems and Good Time. Like there's a there's something about like the situation that Isaac is drawn into that's like compelling, and you feel like so much about how he's going to get out of the situation. Um, but it's just it, it's just a terrific watch. It, I watched it fairly recently again, too, just to like ensure the fact that, like, yeah, this is why I have this here, because I just really enjoy this film. Uh, wonderfully made. Bradford Young, the cinematographer, gets some fantastic shots in this film that's set in, like, 1981 New York. Um, great supporting cast. Uh, the... the, the, the I, I didn't know what to expect going into it, and coming out of it is like, well, that just worked on all levels for me. And since then, I've seen it a number of times. It's just like, yeah, this movie just, I I really like what it's going after and how it does it. And among the many 
really good uh, performances to, to look at. I think there's just a, like a, a great singular one here from Isaac Pacific specifically. So yeah, most of violent mm-hmm. year. Always, always recommended to me, like on Amazon Prime. I've, I've never, still never seen it. Yeah, recommended by me. As well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, number nine, Mark. What's your number nine film? Okay, my number nine film is also a Best Picture winner, along with Spotlight, and it's the last uh, Best Picture winner on my list. So I guess that would make it the film that I think is the best Best Picture winner of the decade. Um, wow. Also, right. Uh, also, uh, another one that I saw in Telluride, I actually was fortunate enough to be at the world premiere of this one. It's Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, mm-hmm. which beat out one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> but, but, but no spoiler alerts. Yeah, that's good. Oh, that's good. I like that tease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to come up again. <laughs> it might come up. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to Moonlight. Yeah, um, we'll get back to that. <laughs> Ter- Terrence, Terrence, what's your number nine film? My number nine film is The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. I like um, it. I love it. The scariest movie of the decade. I will never forgive James Wan for making me jump out of my seat um, with a sheet. <laughs> um, <laughs> that moment in the film, is, it still scares me, even though I know it's coming. Um, I feel like The Conjuring, in the way James Wan directed that, is is very much like a movie out of time. I feel like it belongs sort of in like how horror films in the seventies were made. Um, you, it really takes its time getting to the really, truly scary stuff. And then you sort of got like this heart, heart in the, in the center of the story, which is this family um, and trying to keep them safe. So yeah, the conjuring. Yeah. Aaron and I talked about this a lot on the show, but um, just the way that lot uh, that one does his logistics, I, mean, I can still, take you through the entire house right now if we wanted to you know what i mean like it's, yeah yeah the, it's sense of, the sense of space is very well accomplished in that movie and yeah. it, it leads to great things as far as how it builds up into certain scares because you you're aware of the the layout so you know effectively from the top mm-hmm. and i think what works about the conjuring film specifically not the spin-offs but the conjuring ones is that there is this kind of central story involving family which i do think it it adds to kind of the stakes as well as like what you're feeling as far as what you you know how much how attached you are to the people being you know involved in the terror taking place yeah last note who folds their laundry at 3 15 in the morning and then thinks their daughter is up exactly terrence exactly <laughs> mark's like that's when i have peas two fold laundry what are you talking about <laughs> oh so what, it's a, it's what real other thing. time it's is there <laughs> Abe, what's your number nine? My number nine film is a 2017 film. It is Get Out. Um, I'm sure that we'll, we'll come back to this, uh, but it certainly changed the horror game, and it came from a, a director which I don't think anyone was really expecting such a movie to come out of. I mean, it came from, like, comedy sketch duo uh, Jordan Peele. Um, and just the way that it's been layered and nuanced and just so many things that you can do upon rewatch is... A huge factor in why it's here, but also just the way that I think about horror, you think about slashers and you think about jump scares and spooky things. And this one was kind of like horror thriller-ish and it played on your emotions and it played on your uh, your fears of not just like white people, but also just fears of uh, isolation. And it also has a lot of like classical horror elements like, you know, a, a spook house, um, weird cults, um, you know, just like things that go up in the night. Um, but friends that aren't dumb either. And that's what makes it 
fun, but also rewatchable, and then also just, um, I guess, to some degree, a, a game changer. Number 29 on my list. Um, nice. You know, getting closer to your top 10. <laughs> even even with the uh, the fact that he was Oscar nominated, the fact that I, I, I don't, Daniel Kaluuya does so much with the performance in that film um, that I don't think gets enough credit. I do think he's doing a lot of work to be a straight character in all of this and have to react so much as well as what facial expressions he's making, what he's experiencing, what he's doing by being still, um, especially with the kind of the sunken place and all that. Like there's, there's a lot there that I, I really respect from him. Yeah. And again, he's, he's one of the, the many great, I guess he's a here actor. Now he's not an up camera anymore. He's a here actor, but um, he also does great work in Quinn and Slim movie that I thought was just okay, but he really um, elevated it. He's killer in Widows, which is in for not enough time, but he has. Yeah. He's, he, I was going to say he's killer in everything. Like I don't think I've seen a performance yeah. yet where he hasn't really blown me away. That look he gives to uh, Chadwick Boseman in Black Panther when he doesn't get um, Andy Serkis, he's like, you promised me. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great facial actor. That's all we needed to do. You promised me this. <laughs> My number nine is Paranorman. Um mm. Um, All right, love Paranorman. <laughs> we are big fans. Like a love. We are big fans of like on this podcast. This is my favorite like film, not without competition because I, I mean, their most recent film is as you know hilarious. But I mean, all of their films I <laughs> very much enjoy. Um, Paranorman works on like all the things that I really like. Um, it, it is a horror comedy. It involves zombies. It, it, it tells this kind of I guess you could almost call it a coming of age story, but it just it, it relies on it relies on it you know a, a, a young character to kind of be the central voice in all the madness that's going on, and it's quite often very funny. It's very creative in how it presents the kind of horror ideas in it. It's wonderfully well made. This is the first of the Leica films to use a 3D color printer for all the faces, and I mean you just see like the beginning of how you know, after Coraline, how much they're really stretching to kind of play in the world they have with using the stop motion animation techniques and finding like interesting ways to create all the, the different characters and the backgrounds and the elaborate kind of set pieces, what have you. Um, and like something we've talked about a lot as far as Paranorman goes is the anti-bullying theme that's in there. I think mm-hmm. there's a great message about how you, <laughs> how to, <laughs> what kind of person you want to be, what kind of person how that affects others, what that, what that says about you, what, the, what it says to kind of stand up for what, what's right. And uh, no, it's, it's a wonderful film all, all around. Yeah. Again, again, uh, took some chances that I didn't see coming. And when they did happen, I was really impressed by it. So thank you, Leica. Mark, what's your number eight film? My number eight is probably the film that surprised me the most to make my top 10. Uh, it probably gained the most ground um when i rewatched it uh like it's probably the fourth time i've seen it or so but it's one of those movies i think each time i watch it i'm gonna like it more and more and that's martin scorsese's the wolf of wall street mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that was like number eight of that year to begin and now it's my number two um but that's uh it, it, it cracks me up it's it's one of dicaprio's i think best performances uh just a great movie yeah and that runtime was a breeze with like a giant theater that was laughing the whole way through. It's like three plus hours and it's just right. it moves. It's super fun to watch. Yeah. It moves. Yep. Number 63 on my list. <laughs> 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 uh, 
No, it, well, it's, what a tough list to crack. It's, yeah. <laughs> I just like pointing it out. It made the hundred. I mean, that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's that's the thing. There's so many good movies on these on these lists that it's if it makes the list, you, you can't really argue too much. Offhand, yeah. I mean, it is hard. That that like that DiCaprio performance, I do think is if not his best, certainly in his top three. Like I think he's absolutely fantastic in the in the role, doing what everything he needs to do in there. Um, Does he win Revenant after this? Yes. Yeah. Like, Two years. A year later? Okay. Two years later. Two years later. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrence, what's your number eight? Um, my number eight is Marvel's The Avengers. Heard of it. Um, <laughs> you might have seen it at the time. It, it had the biggest opening weekend of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it got beat by a terrible movie, and then it snatched the crown back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, like, re-watching it, over the years like the herculean amount of work that has to go to getting all of these characters with their individual movies to vibe in the same universe to come together to be just like good at all let alone how great it is is like mind-blowing um because we saw you know a couple years later with a certain you know studio and extended universe um that it's really hard to do that the the, ver- um, the so, vertigo cinematic universe is that what you're referring to um the image? people who used is to own image? them yeah dark horse dark horse <laughs> the dark horse universe it starts with it's with letters that are right next to each other in the alphabet okay um i think i know but yeah i just it's great fun the action is is clear it's got some and we all know i love captain america and thor they get really great moments uh in the movies and it was just one of the biggest it, crowd pleasers um and so i really enjoyed it 76 great uh yeah it's a it's a fantastic movie yeah i mean it, it top to bottom it does everything it needs to do as far as building up that whole team unit uh giving them the right kind of drama to work with and just being massively entertaining yeah i just rewatched endgame last night and uh a little bit better on the second watch <laughs> just throwing it out there <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your number eight eh? Uh, I I have uh, Mad Max Fury Road, the 2015 film, as my number eight. Um, the reason why it is on here is when I think about series, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Like sequels to movies? I mean, I would never have thought that a movie that whose last sequel was like what 1991 or something like that. Um, 80s, 89. 89. Uh, whose whose last sequel was in 89 and whose director was aging and but still had this vision. Um, to make a, a, another installment. Um, I would have never guessed. Way off. Eighty-five. Man, that was like that uh, a lot of years. Yeah. Here, here, I thinking like Tina Turner was like probably nineties. Um, but when you think about just the way that this movie, its its conception was probably like a while ago. It took a lot of time. Then this sort of reminds me of of even um Scorsese's uh, Irishman, where it's like, yeah, it took a decade in the works. When I think about stuff like that, and then this execution just being mind-blowing, I was like, this is a great ride. It's got a great score from Junkie XL. And some of these visuals are things that you'll never forget, and they've kind of had like this lasting impact on like the... Not even just like lexicon. I mean, I use like um, I use uh, the term um, witness me from time to time in my daily life, but it's just a, a movie that I think... Um, from the standpoint of a director being oldish, uh, but then also just, wow, I didn't know that there was still stuff to revisit uh, from this world 
that is relevant to the current timeline. Yeah, we'll get back to Mad Max where you're at. My number eight is Inception, uh, Mm -hmm. which, you know, there's a number of Nolan films that have come out uh, in the past uh, 10 years. Um, but I think this is um, his his most accomplished, and it's not lack of competition from some of his other films, specifically Dunkirk. Um, but I think Inception, it's it this takes this incredible premise that could be fit for our a psychological drama, and instead works as this massively uh, successful blockbuster. Um, the, the idea that it could be a film that <laughs> makes audiences have to pay attention. And yet they did, and the movie went on to make like a quarter of a billion, like three quarters of a billion dollars. It's like, well, everyone wanted to see this and wanted to see how it played, and are certainly fascinated by it. It doesn't hurt that you have this all-star lineup of people going on. You have DiCaprio, Ken Watanabe, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, uh, Berenger. <laughs> That's the one I name. Uh, Gillian Murphy, Michael Caine, <laughs> George Lucas. Like you have like all these people here. They're all part of this like wonderful t- uh, clockwork of a film. Uh, that has so much precision in it as far as what it, what kind of information it needs to share and how it needs to like pull it all off. Uh, it it looks spectacular. You have Hans Zimmer bringing this like game changing score that has been you know since spoofed, let alone used in like so many other like trailers and you know scores in general. Uh, there's just a lot. It, this is like there's so much movie here and. It, it had been like a minute since I watched Inception uh, a couple years ago, and I was like, "Is this movie really that?" And like watching is like, "Yeah, this movie just does everything. Like it, 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 it succeeds in so many ways. It's so satisfying on this kind of action level as well as an emotional one. Um, there's there's just mm-hmm. a lot to like uh, about Inception and like how it plays into, uh, you know, movies that ambitious films that came out in this past decade. I'm pretty sure that there's still like a live Reddit thread right now talking about what it means. And it also has great meme material. I mean, this is elements of staying power. Uh, for sure. Uh, all right. Mark, what's your number seven? Uh, my number seven, um, that's Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan. Um, and mm-hmm. Natalie Portman's performance was a huge, uh, I think, part of why I loved this movie so much. And uh, I really like the themes, too, of perfection and, you know, what you know what that means for each individual and whatnot. So uh, big fan of that one. Number sixty, um, yeah, just a <laughs> number <made>. what? <laughs> sixty. <laughs> number six zero. It's on the list, right? Terrence, you keep looking at this as like somehow bad. I'm thinking it made the list. Like it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> we'll we'll circle back to this movie. Yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm, I know. So okay. I'm, we won't talk about it too much. Though. So Terrence, what's your number seven? Uh, Moonlight. Um, just an all-around great movie. The script is amazing. The actors are great. Barry Jenkins is wonderful. Um, Mark touched on a lot of things. I get, well, it's not my best, best picture winner. That's something else, but it's number two, <laughs> the second best picture winner of the decade. Um, it's, yeah, it's just a well, a well-made movie. Um, you know, I guess we could, this, this has a feel good ending. All right. So that's, we're up to two. <laughs> two or three yeah i uh, my, my list isn't well it's still depressing before then but like is it a yeah, good ending i'd say so i guess it know. depends on the read like if you think it's things are hopeful yeah. or if uh i think it's hopeful yeah i think it's i think it's a happy uh i don't know if like, happy is the right word but it's a yeah i think it's a positive ending 
Fair enough. Maybe. Maybe. We need that hope this time around. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Abe, what's your number seven? My number seven movie is a movie that I ranked number one in 2014 when it came out. It's, it's Boyhood. Um, what I really like about this movie and why I made the top ten is just the length that it took to commit and then create. And I know that we talked about this, I think, during the discussion um, you know, a lot of things were brought up about, well, isn't Harry Potter the same thing? And I would say that, yeah, but also it's different. Um, but Boyhood was a movie that I was thinking to myself, you know, Richard Linklater, he makes these movies that are sort of out of time, out of place. They're kind of a little, they feel a little bit more genuine in some of the, the, the dialogue. But when I saw this movie, I just was really attached to this person that I've never met before. And then I get to the end there and I'm just thinking to myself, man, I, I definitely feel you, Patricia Arquette. Like, the the quote that she has at the end of the movie about just life in general, it's just like, yep, I'm at that crossroad right now. I just don't really know what to make of this, and it's it's very profound on that level. But it's, um, it's a really nice, like, beautifully shot, like, in a simplistic way type movie. And then I've seen so many making of features about it, but Boyhood is, is my number seven movie of the decade. Recall it was my number one of that year as well. We have the same number one. Um, it's mm-hmm. four. It's fourteen on my list. Very hard. Yes. To to not squeeze it in <laughs> to the top ten of the decade. <laughs> but yes, yeah. I, was, I I am a massive fan of Boy. I mean, the top. So many of these are like five star films to me outside of the ten. So it's like it's, it's not like again it's splitting yeah. hairs. But it's yeah. can I can I ask if I'm the if I'm the low man on Boyhood? Since yeah, you, I remember I remember your thoughts. You Mark. are. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. It made my hey, list. Number four, it made my list. Number fourteen on mine. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, see, I'm down at... Terrence and I tied for boy. <laughs> there it is. I'm when down when I when I was yeah. on that. It made the top hey, 100. The but it made <laughs> yeah. the list. All right. <laughs> but I remember. Yeah, I remember. I remember your thoughts on it. I was like, oh, Mark Johnson. I hope that we don't have a fight, which take, we're not going to. Take that last flag it's a good line. Movie. Other Richard Linklater movie. <laughs> Last flag. <laughs> Another Richard Linklater movie from the decade. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Boy. I mean. Top, yeah. Boyhood's great. The, I, the, the 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 central performances all are Edward Coltrane, uh, Ethan Hawke, mm-hmm. Patricia Arquette, and um, Lorelai Linklater. Like, uh, strong family unit. Great to see like the the evolution over time. Yeah. Yeah. And while I'm the low man on this one, I I think if you made asked me to make a list of what I thought were the the biggest achievements of the decade. I might oh. have Boyhood number one, yeah, because I think it's it's quite an an accomplishment and it's pretty awesome. I mean, Steve Carell grew a mustache for Last Flag Flying. We can't like look over this. Oh, well, <laughs> true. That's af- that's after he got that plastic surgery for Foxcatcher, right? That's that's what that's what happened in that movie. You got the uh, penguin nose. Yeah, the, the penguin nose. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Uh, my my number seven is Black Klansman. I I I've been watching a lot of Spike Lee films lately because a number of them came out on Blu-ray for the first time, so it's been really cool to just kind of go back over some of his '90s efforts. Um, Black Klansman is a is a wonderful blend of Spike Lee operating in both what he can do when he's angry as well as how he can be very entertaining as a filmmaker. Uh, it works in a number of ways uh, to get into, you know, social relevance of racism, which has never gone away, but you know, it's certainly at a, I don't know if it's an all time high, but certainly there's 
a lot to be said about the topic, puts it into this story that's based off a true, like, event <laughs> that took place, and manages to make, like, this cop comedy out of it. And that's so... Like, even, like, which I, I assume Lee was involved in, like, the trailers for the film, but, like, just the idea that he's presenting this as, like, a premise, it's like, of course this is a Spike Lee movie. It makes so much sense that this would be him. And he nails it. Like, the he gets a terrific performance out of uh, John David Washington, another great performance out of Adam Driver, makes this wacky premise work where it, it like, became a hit film, which not off you don't often get hit films from Spike Lee you get some successes but he like he made a film that was not only like a great success on like a box office level but also like nabbed a number of Oscar nominations and even won won a screenplay award for him the work done to kind of not only make the film entertaining and humorous at times but also really dig into the emotional level of what it means for characters to be posing as member of the members of the clan uh, I think really hits in the right ways uh there are a number of like incredibly well edited sequences that i really think stand out i know abe you've brought this up a number of times but when um when the when the speech is being given uh by kwame Ture and you have these like mm-hmm. these shots of like the the black audience watching and you have all these faces popping up on screen i think it's just it's masterful filmmaking um and on top of that you have another terrence blanchard score which you only get so there's only so many like memorable score. I can think of that score and like know what it sounds like right now. There's just a lot of things going on here, um, as well as just tapping into the culture at the time and then tying it into today, which is not unfamiliar for Spike Lee's movies. He, he does that. He's done that a number of times as far as movies that are set in certain times and then finding like ways to say like it's not like this is over. And yeah, mm-hmm. no, I think it all really works and it comes as like this one-two punch with um Chirac, which i also really liked it didn't make my top 100 but i also i thought that was another <laughs> another angry film that he also had like some ambitious ideas of how to kind of tackle it um but yeah, black landsman mm-hmm. i think is a fantastic effort nice mark what is your number six film so my number uh, six film my top six let's just say were all the films that I thought could end up as my number one at the end of it. So all six of these, I could kind of, you know, flip around in any order, I think any given year, but uh, with this most recent reviewing of the list, um, I started number six with the tree of life, uh, Terrence Malick's um, epic, I guess we could say uh, with Brad Pitt giving maybe his best performance. Uh, Chastain uh, was kind of introduced that year. I think that was her year with the help and, uh take shelter take maybe shelter. also was that year yeah. yeah big big breakthrough year for her as well and uh something just struck me with that movie and uh maybe it was somewhat being new to fatherhood um at the time uh, but it it's just one of those movies that's to me it, it's near perfect 34 would is only grown in estimation uh for me yeah. have you have you by chance have you seen the 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 longer cut that came out from criterion Kevin Taft was actually talking to me about that the other day on Instagram, I think it was. But um, yeah, he was he was saying how much even more linear the story uh, gets. So I'm I'm definitely going to check it out. I I like that it's the way it, I like the style of the film, and I'm not a huge fan of most of Malick's more recent stuff. Um, but I did like more of a non-linear story. But I, I definitely will have to check out the Criterion for it. I it for one thing, I think Tree of Life. Either cut is fantastic. I do. I I I can't say it's like it's preferable, but I the effort, he certainly put the effort into what he released as far as this kind of longer edition. That I I don't necessarily think it's more linear, but I do think it 
it, it just fleshes out. So it gives, not that the movie needs more breathing room, but it certainly it, it allows for more kind of contemplation on certain things as for for a film that's already not you know too brief or <laughs> ambiguous in what it's trying to say. But regardless, it's a I mean visually <laughs> this movie is you know Matt uh, uh, is is amazing. Great trailer. I still go back and revisit the trailer ever so often. And some iconic imagery. You can take frames from this oh, movie. Oh, for like, sure. That's Tree of Life. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Like, <laughs> when they're, when they're playing yeah. in the street with the, like, the long shadows, that's one of my favorite shots. Mm. Yeah. Terrence, what's your number six film? My number six film is Burning. Um, mm. mm-hmm. A very quick funny story about this movie. Aaron and I had previously seen... Um, what was that awful? Luca Suspiria, yes. Um, the day before. Great, great movie, I think, is what you meant um serious awful <laughs> but we saw this and aaron was like so you know this movie is like two and a half hours and suspiria was like almost three hours so i wanted to die at the beginning <laughs> of this movie um but luckily burning is phenomenal um all of the actors like that the trio of um actors at the center of this are just firing on all cylinders and then like the movie starts morphing into new different things as it, as the runtime goes on. And I really just love the like approach that this movie took. Um, Chang Dong just, he just knocked it out of the park. It was, that was a great, that was a great two and a half hours of my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the, the payoff is one. I mean, the whole movie I think is really good, but like the, the kind of the way it builds to what it's going towards, I think is really mm-hmm. well accomplished and well-earned. Um, especially in the realm of like films that become Hitchcockian, which I think is quite interesting where it starts as one thing and kind of, and as you're saying, kind of morphs, it's like, yeah, that's, uh, that's just, that's just good work. That's just good filmmaking. I believe it's still streaming. I believe it's still streaming. On yeah, Netflix. it is. Yeah. yeah. So everybody, I mean, if you're in the United, well, around the world, but specifically if you're in the United States, <laughs> you have nothing but time now. This is true. Um, to watch this movie so every time i pass by i'm like oh this is terrence's number one movie of that year and you still haven't seen it no i've seen it i've seen it he saw okay. it yeah he sees your movies he doesn't see the movies i put <laughs> 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 sorry sorry <laughs> I'll get out the list of movies i know you haven't seen <laughs> i've talked about plenty <laughs> what's your number six my number six movie is a movie that, uh, well, it's also my number one movie of, I think, uh, 2011, uh, or maybe 2012, but it's Zero Dark Thirty. And I know there's a lot of controversy about this. 2012. Um, 2012. And the controversy is that, well, the senators that came out after this movie said we didn't get information from torturing. Um, that's not specifically, like, why I would like a movie. I actually kind of, like, would demerit a movie if they specifically, like, went into stuff like that, where I remember thinking about American Sniper, and I kind of gave it some some flack because I was like, there was never this one-on-one duo between uh, this uh, sniper, and he never shot, like, a the guy from, like, 700 yards away. It's all just, like, fake storytelling. Um, to some degree, uh, I do take that into account with Zero Dark Thirty, but the larger takeaway from this is like this giant American revenge story and what it means to go bureaucratically after terrorists. And what I really loved about it is that the ending is ambiguous. Like it's not this, it's not this like we did it thing. It's more just like, 
I, I mentioned this on I think the original like bittersweet review. Would be the way I'd put it. It's bittersweet, and what I remember, what I specifically remember saying is like it's like the graduate where it's like they got what they wanted, but now what? And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's exactly it. It's like we have to go get this, these people that did this to us, and we've got to go and make them pay. And it's like, cool, now what? Because we have to face a whole slew of new things that come onto our radar anyway. It's like just this. This buildup of like all this, you know, decades worth of like intelligence, and then uh, the central character is an amalgamation of a lot of different uh, people. But at the same time, it's just like, okay, cool. <laughs> what do you want to do now? It's like we're still gonna have to like fight this war and terror. We're still have to fight these people, and just the way that it is presented is, um, for one, it, it is kind of like difficult to take at times but also i was just really intrigued by the way that they had these black site locations and they had whatever it's like we are aware of black site locations but whenever we think about like james bond or we think whatever it's like this beautiful glass castle it's like no this is like a grimy ass like uh, oil ship out in out in poland and uh you know don't use your real looks and it's, it's very fascinating to see this and they don't use any real people's names, but then the more that you piece the story together, you're just like, yeah, that's totally like Leon Panetta, and then that's totally like, you know, the former director of the CIA, whatever the case is. And it's very fascinating just the way that it came together. And Zerdark 30 is like, yes, there is controversy around the torture techniques, and and that did that did not gain any information. But again, I think the larger whole of it, I mean, it's also a huge win for just Catherine Bigelow, but. Uh, it certainly is a movie that I, I think about uh, from time to time. Yeah, so it's my number six. Sorry for being long-winded on that one. <laughs> You're fine. It's number twenty-two on mine. It was certainly my uh, my it was my second favorite film of that year. But I mean, it's kind of it. I mean, it's 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 a massive achievement. I felt, and I think, I mean, what you're speaking to as far as you know, the people that the expansive cast they have or what, like there's a lot of like just great character actors. That was, that was the year where like this Argo and Lincoln all had like every actor in Hollywood working, like every character actor out there was like employed by some <laughs> one of these movies. Um, but I, I, I mean, taking, finding like a direction to point this in and putting that into Jessica Chastain's character is just like, it, it, it was great effort. It was great work. Cause you have to do like this massive thing and like, place it all in the back of one person's shoulders as they interact with, a, you know, so many different characters, what have you. And it, it works. It works to accomplish the goal it's going after and gives you, you know, a, a pretty, you know, like, a very big set piece heavy finale to kind of get to, like, the goal of all of this. But before that, it's still all riveting. Um, but even mm -hmm. as far as the kind of the things the film got tagged with, which honestly probably cost it you know the oscars that argo won um i i think are but i, I would also say like uh, rightly so though i mean again it got, it got taken down rightly so because again it again torture techniques didn't really get anything out of it out I, of anybody I, I, what i was gonna say is I, I think they're a little bit misguided i don't think the film is con is condemned is uh i don't think it's I, not con I don't think it's not condemning that fact a little and i don't think it's pushed i don't think it's pushing forward the idea that torture was the reason things got accomplished it's commenting on the mm -hmm. fact that it was used to begin with i think it's getting mm -hmm. tagged in the same way other movies that were wrongfully tagged as far as what people were assuming they were about and assuming they were saying versus what they actually accomplished or at least how critical they were of the fact that they were doing these things but I mean, mm -hmm. these are things that make the movie fascinating to me. The fact that it's not just, you know, it's not, I mean, you want to point out American Sniper, it's not being a, a number of these movies that are, 
simply promoting this like yeah we did the right thing and everything worked out like it's it's not doing that at all it's it's placing you in this moral gray area of like what kind of extents we're going to to try to accomplish something and i think it it, it handles that very i mean yeah there, there's questionable elements about aspects of it at the same time right. it's, it's it's putting those questions out there to begin with which i think is important mm. um my number six film is going to be talked about later but it's a separation um i won't get into it too far i'll just say oscar Verhadi mm. is a force to be reckoned with um <laughs> and i'll leave it there for now but just a fantastic yeah. movie uh, i mean like you basically after that movie that movie and then everything else has been oscar nominated right more or less uh yeah, with the exception of about ellie but that's just because of yeah. the weird because it came it was made before all of those right yeah yeah it was made before yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, where are we at? Number five. Mark, what's your number five? Mark, yeah. So there are two years that um, make up four of my top five, uh, and those are the two, in my opinion, best years of the decade. Um, that starts with uh, 2010 is one of them, and that's The Social Network that I have at number five. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, when I kind of went into this, that was one that I thought might challenge what I eventually had at number one the most for that spot. Uh, you know, I hate to repeat the phrase, but I'm probably going to say that for the next five movies, it is a near perfect film. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting, the writing more than anything, the direction, like it's just, it's just fantastic. The score, uh, there's really not an element to the movie that I don't like. Uh, and it came out right in a, a great time. It came out right around when I was, I think discovering Twitter and being part of that for the first time I'd been on Facebook for a little while, but I think it was right around when I was discovering Twitter. So it was just a really, interesting um time capsule i think of that era but yep mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get we'll get back to that um <laughs> uh terrence what's your number five my number five is black swan yay um <laughs> yeah i you know darren aronofsky this movie actually inspired me to start watching some other movies that it was based on like the red shoes which is sort of a movie that I now count as like one of my favorites of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, Natalie Portman, absolutely brilliant. Neil Kunis, Barbara Hershey, phenomenal as well. Um, it's such a well-made thing, and I loved how they use the Swan Lake score, the way Clint Mandel sort of mm-hmm. rearranges it and like twists it around the narrative. Um, I thought it was really interesting. It's um. It's an intense. I was trying to like phrase it because it's like it's a horror movie. It's an intense film, yes. and and the the the, <laughs> the way it's able to kind of wave this kind of like prestige aspect over it, where it's like, yeah, well, it's a Darren Aronofsky film. It has Natalie Portman. It, it has this kind of sense of class to it, but at the same time, it's this like you know gnarly horror film where people like break nails and. And like the sound mm-hmm. design is like amazing as far as making you kind of clench up in your seat. Like there's a lot of like creepy things that go on within the the realm of a film about Swan Lake, which I think is uh, part of why yeah. it's such a great accomplishment. And I think on rewatches, you really start, particularly with the sound design, you really start to key into like when you could hear black birds flapping. Mm-hmm. Like he just layers layers that in very quietly on like her first subway ride. And it yeah. just like sets the tone for everything else. 
and <laughs> a lot of good cast members. I don't think Vincent Cassell could have been more ideally cast as sleazy oh. performer. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's perfect. Yeah, he's awesome in that. Man, sleazeball. Also, yeah. Aronofsky, sound design seems to be his thing because Mother has yeah. really great sound design right. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And don't forget Noah. I like Noah quite a bit. <laughs> I do well, like Noah. So moving Did on. you hear that snake? <laughs> I'm not saying it, it's it's not my favorite Aronofsky film, but I do like I I don't dislike Noah. I I, I think it's if you're gonna make a, a biblical epic like that, he made a, the weirdest possible version, and I respect <laughs> I don't that. Don't know that I'd call it a biblical epic though. <laughs> it it is is like, what else would you call? <laughs> um, a creative retelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got it. your back, Mark. Ah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Abe, what's your number five? Uh, my number five comes from 2015. It is Big Short. Um, when I think about this movie, um, I also think about Moneyball, which I have seen like 12 times. Um, but I think about this movie uh, based off a book from Michael Lewis, both of them written by Michael Lewis. And they're all just these like factoids about the financial downturn and or, you know, um, using statistics in baseball. Um, I'm going to focus more on just the Big Short. But the Big Short is a lot of – it's a great encapsulation of what happened and the lead-up of what happened to the 2008-2009 financial crisis. And why it's deeply personal to me um, is because I worked in finance during that time. I worked in corporate commercial banking um, with an executive team at a bank. Um, and everything that they talked about was like, yeah, we, we knew all of this. And it's just fascinating to have, I guess, the American public see it. Um, and then also have the American public not give a shit about it. And that's like the, the most like devastating part about it too, is just, um, I think, uh, the phrase that was thrown around during the time is everyone loves the party and the champagne until, and nobody loves to clean it up. Um, and it's just this, you know, a whirlwind tour de, uh, tour de force I use lightly, um, tour de force by Adam McKay and just being like, Hey, by the way, I want to like, really like change the way that I make movies too. Um, I've, per, I was really read already adding all these social commentary notes to it, but here's something that's just like hitting you on top of the head. I'm just going to go out there and say it like, you know, everybody fucked up during this time and you know what? Everybody got away with it too. Um, and what I like about it is that you do have moral characters, you know, you have characters like Steve Carell, uh, turning into great performance, but also kind of just like struggling with like well, this is bad and I want to expose it, but at the same time, like my, my company is going to get a lot of money from this. And then you have like, just like these geniuses, like, uh, um, uh, Christian Bale's character, which is like, I, I see this coming a mile away. You know what? I'm going to stick with my guns and do it. And it's like, and then what I love about Brad Pitt, strangely two lines that nominated I, for this movie too. I was like, Brad Pitt, Bale. I was like, Bale, Bale, Bale. It's like, all right. Probably, probably because fine. of the last side thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly but, why he's like he had things to play with that's how oscars look at it <laughs> yeah two two, th- two lines that i love from this movie one of them being when brad pitt uh when those two kids asked brad pitt um why did you help us he's like you said you wanted to get rich right and now you're rich um and then the other line is when those two kids actually go into bear stearns um and they're just like this was it and that there's just like prestige around these financial institutions like bear stearns is no longer around but I remember coming out of college and everyone was trying to get into like a job of Bear Stearns. And it's like when you get there, it's just like, yeah, it's just fucking bullshit work. You know, like none of this is, is fucking real. So it, it's just this, you know, it, it's not an angry movie, but it's also like bordering on angry and like, let me tell you what kind of movie. So Big Short is my number five. 
I'd say it is an angry movie. Obviously, it's a humorous veil over it, but I mean, it, it's right. like, it, there's a, a a righteous anger going on here that you know came from the the credits of the other guys expanded into a full length feature film, and <laughs> um, which is impressive in itself. This is one of the last ones I cut um, from my top 100, but I still really like <laughs> the Big Short. Um, a, lot, uh, a, a lot of interesting ways to like handle some compelling information um, about you know what what actually happened and why um, mm-hmm. so. that movie was nowhere near my top 100 but i do like the way you explained what you like about it <laughs> oh thanks terrence yeah oh <laughs> i'm a fan i have it on there somewhere i forget where bam uh, 80, it's 82 on my list but i like it a lot yeah my number five is moonlight uh we've talked about it Ooh. a little bit already um mm-hmm. i it's a it's a fantastic film i feel like it might come up again um but the trio of i mean there's there's more supporting performances as well but the trio performances to all um uh, perform one version of the same character i i think are they're realized in such a specific way where they're not necessarily informed by the previous performances because they just weren't the actors weren't like watching each other to see how they would act they're just their own thing and so it makes for this very interesting triptych um, seeing the kind of evolution of, of one man over time and how it explores what, you know, what he's experienced in life, what he's becoming, what, you know, others involving him or, you know, or involved around him or, you know, going after as well. And it's a, it's a great mood film. There's, there, there's a lot. And, you know, I, I feel the same for Beale street as well, as far as just the, the texture of the movie, uh, and what Barry Jenkins is able to accomplish and how he's put it together and how he kind of engages the viewer to not only take in the dialogue and take in the, you know, whatever other writing involved or what have you, but like take in just kind of the, the atmosphere of the film and let you sit in it. Um, Wong Kar Wai is like a very strong reference for him and very, ob- it seems very obvious in terms of like the visual presentation or whatnot. And it's, it, it stands to reason as to why, and it's certainly a compliment if, you know, if a filmmaker is you know achieving a certain kind of look and tone. You can say that on any, any, any number of other filmmakers that are all influenced by other filmmakers. But I mean, there's there is something that really stands out there, as well as just kind of the the relevance of what's being tackled and the kind of the impact that it leaves. Where I mean, Moonlight's one of those films that seems to be was universally hailed when it was like arriving and just kind of stuck that way all the way through. Like there's there's few things that people seem to like find that are bad to say about the film because it's just kind of not like it's just it's it's incredibly well accomplished all around um mm-hmm. and uh, uh along with beale street just a terrific uh terrific score by nicholas uh, nicholas Bertel. Uh, a lot of great work mm-hmm. all around in that film yeah all right number four is guys mark what's your number four so now we begin a run of one of my favorite genres, which is sci-fi. Um, I've got three sci-fi in a row here. So uh, the first one at number four is, and I can never say his name, Denis Villeneuve. Is that right? Close enough? You nailed okay. it. Yeah. That's it. It's nailed his, it. Yeah. Yeah. His uh, arrival uh, with Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner. Um, I just loved I loved what it did. I loved the way it told the story. I loved the, the twists and turns, and I don't want to say too much to give anything away, but I just – this this is my kind of movie. Like this has Mark Johnson written all over it as far as the type of films I like, the meet, the themes, the performances, the score. I think it's Max Richter for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. That did the score there. Um just a really really great story. 
Yeah, I, you couldn't hear it because I was muted, but I was clapping when you when you <laughs> announced it. Uh, yeah. But this movie is um, it it almost made some of my my higher echelon list. But um, the the thing I really like about it is that it's this, it's this alien invasion story where they don't like really harm anybody. Um, and just the way that the story unfolds, it made me go and buy the short story to go read. So it was that effective. Nice. Yeah, it Arrival to me is so interesting because I'm like. I think I I appreciate it more than I like the movie, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. That like I totally get where it's going and and I feel like the way it tells its story just doesn't one hundred percent work for me, but it's so tightly made that I'm like, okay, I see like why people would really, really like this. Um and the score was Johan because I'm looking at my eyes oh, right you're now. Right. Uh, Johan Johansson. Johansson. Max Richter did that first song. Um, yeah, that's right. That's what it on was. Nature yeah. Daylight. Yeah. I think that's why it was ineligible for score. That's exactly why. That right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. You, have you heard Denny Denny talking about that? He was. No. Like, what does he say? So he said like Johan wrote an opening track, um, but he felt like the track that Johan wrote was more about death, and Max Richter's song is more about life, and so he chose that, and that's what you know ended up keeping mm-hmm. him ineligible for it but that was like a really interesting oh bummer yeah those are two of my favorite uh composers too they're great i i I correctly predicted that arrival would win uh, best sound editing that year and i think it's important because (laughs) the film (laughs) that was was a major linchpin in the oscar competition but um the film creates its own that's a hard one it yeah it it was (laughs) but the film the film it creates its own language, which I think is fascinating. I, I think the all of the ideas yeah. about how language functions in that world, and especially what it means to the characters by the time you understand what the the arrival was for, uh, has a huge emotional payoff that's really effective. And I can only imagine it's yeah. all the more effective for you know parents. Um, and I think that's why it sticks out for a lot of people, you know, not necessarily older critics, but a lot of you know a lot of people in general as far as what they connect to on certain levels. There, there's a lot yeah. there to really like about the film in that degree, and um, Amy Adams is in, it's, she's very she's incredible in that film. Like that was a weird snub that year of all the things. Yeah. Given, yeah. given all given all I, of her nominations, you know, like that was the weird one. Yeah. Be like that's the one she doesn't get nominated for. Gen- um, general uh, question for you guys here: Does the Academy just dislike Amy Adams? Oh no, she's I mean she's had quite a bit of nominations. I think six or seven now. Yeah. yeah she's just, it's yeah. just she hasn't she hasn't had the she hasn't had that year to win yet. She'll get. Yeah. I, I think she'll get hers. Okay. I she believe will. Johnson. She's just never. Like June bug aside, yeah. Have you really thought that she was number one that year? That that's the thing that she was mm. like. She's so good, yeah. She's but consistent. like never been like yeah, like the best. Yeah, that's a pretty okay. good year for actress too. You had Isabel Hump, Hooper Hooper, or however you say her name for L, Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Meryl Streep, which is you know she's gonna check the box almost every time with Florence Foster Jenkins. That's probably the one you could pull out. Yep. And then on the stone for La La Land. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I mean she's she's good in that, but yeah, I think that's the one. <laughs> the person that's good in that movie is Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant's great. Yeah, in Florence I agree. Foster Jenkins. I agree. He's he's terrific yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I was going to say about Arrival, uh, the alien design is so like otherworldly and complete. I mean, it's fitting that, you know, alien is the exact word you use for that because it's not like anything else you've seen before. And I thought that was pretty spectacular. Um, and and yeah. how you how you realize something new in a well-worn genre. Yeah. It, or sorry, Terrence, what is your number four film? My number four is Cloud Atlas. Love it. 
Yes. Um, <laughs> I love that movie. I really dug the movie, obviously, because it's number four. But, like, um, it's, like, the Wachowskis and Tom Tickver, but, like, the Wachowskis, but in, like, with a good script and distilled down and their ideas. They're still doing, like, a lot of crazy world building, but I feel like it's really strong in the through line. I loved getting all of those actors to play different people, um, sort of telling the story of souls through time, I thought was really, really fascinating. Um, and the score, it, I think it's my favorite score of the decade. Um, it's a brilliant I, score. One of the ones I mean, really it's definitely, it's yeah. definitely one of the best, no question. Yeah. And yeah, it's just really, it's sometimes the Wachowski's swing and miss, like with uh, Jupiter ascending, but then like, Sometimes they get it really right, um, and Cloud Atlas is sort of them firing it uh, on the highest level. Great voiceover work by by everybody involved, but especially like Ben Wishaw. I mean, when he reads his yeah. letter, yeah. Fifty-seven. Um, <laughs> uh, and you know, for a two two hour and forty five minute movie, very watchable for sure. Like it, it, it doesn't, you know everything's interesting in the frame because of the, because of the talent involved that are huge visual stylists, but also just the story it is telling, which is incredibly, you know, it, it brings you in, in both the kind of the style of, of, you know, how it's being edited together, which I think is incredibly ambitious and mm-hmm. has to, has to do a lot to make that make sense for audiences. And unfortunately it wasn't a bigger hit at the box office, but I mean, the movie really works in this kind of universal way on purpose because of all the different kinds of stories it's telling and the overall message it's putting out there. But yeah, Cloud Atlas is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's your number four? My number four comes from 2018 in the world of animation. Um, it's Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Um, I yeah. thought I, I, yeah, I thought I, I had known everything that was going to happen in this movie. You know, I, I'd seen the teaser trailer and I saw the first trailer and I was like, okay, cool. You know, animation style. Uh, so about Miles Morales. Um, and I go into it and completely blown away. Um, it, I knew that it was going to be fun because it is from Phil Lord, Chris Miller uh, producing. Um, but it's one of those things where I just didn't expect anything that they threw at me. Um, just the way that it treats like one of the Peter Parkers in the beginning of the movie. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like it's going there. Um, and then just the way that it continues to subvert sort of my, my thoughts um, by having all these characters, yes, from different universes, but just them coming together. Um, and not only having to like face issues of uh, extinction, I guess, but just, you know, what is like, this is a weird thing for me to, to really learn about um, what's his face? Uh, John Mulaney. Uh, um, Spider-Ham. Spider-Ham. Yeah. It's like, Oh cool. You know what? Everybody has like a weird quirk of personality and, and I really appreciate that. But beyond that, the animation style is great. We're going to see it again coming up. We talked about it in a recent trailer talk. Um, it's very different from what I was thinking Sony Pictures animation was going to do. Um, and then the action is also really, really fun. Uh, but overall, just like it was an animated movie and I had a different animated movie here, too. But uh, this one was just like, you know, which one was beyond what I thought an animated movie could be? And I think when we were talking about the best of the years, 
I was like, this is not even like a, a better than, or it's like, a, it's not even like a great animated movie of the year. It's just like one of the best movies of that year um, where it's like became elevated. So into the Spider-Verse number, number four. I forgot how much you loved Megamind, but um, that yeah, be, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's the other one. That's the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the other one was your name. Uh, I figured. Um, oh my God, I love your name. That is that is one of my favorite animated of the, of the decade. I love it. Good call. Yeah. Spider Verse is number twenty seven on my list. It's it, 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 saw we saw Spider Verse. Anna and I saw Spider Verse like three weeks or four like four weeks before like it came out. And mm-hmm. he just had to kind of sit there and be like, guys, this is like the best. <laughs> like, I can't believe this Spider-Man <laughs> movie like somehow became like one of the greatest things to come out of superhero cinema of the past decade. And yet here it yeah. is. And it finally came yeah. out and everyone's like, oh, my God, you guys are right. It, it it accomplishes so much in the realm of being a Spider-Man movie, as well as being an animated film, a comedy, an action movie, a drama uh, it has everything going for it that you would want in this kind of ultimate comic book universe. It's it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, terrific. Great soundtrack too. Really like the songs. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. All right. My number four is Django Unchained. The D is silent. Um, <laughs> I I there are you know a set of directors that I will flock to very easily. Carantino is very much one of them I, you people, the listeners of the show very much know that uh, so this is the one that i've chosen to be in my top 10 i very much didn't want to have like multiple films from same directors or whatnot in my top i want to have like a little variety um i do have uh once upon a time in hollywood fairly high in the list as well but django is you know not t- too dissimilar from black Klansman. it's a very angry movie like it's one that very much has you know, Tarantino's own thoughts on America and its history and how he wants to kind of incorporate that into a film that's this like black exploitation western. Um, and it's I think incredibly effective in doing that. Uh, there's a lot a lot of movie here, much like Inception, which I said before. It's a you know it's a long film. Um, and it has trying to tackle a lot of different ideas. Uh, one could call it excessive, which I'm sure it has been. Um, but I think it all it works in how it all comes together, how it all pays off. And a lot of that comes from the fact that you have not only Tarantino's writing, which I think is always very strong, but also this plethora of great actors um, headlined by Fox, Waltz, DiCaprio, and Sam Jackson, who is one of the worst villains of this whole decade. <laughs> like D- Jackson is so <laughs> like DiCaprio is one thing as far as the kind of affectation he's putting into his accent because he's a francophile and all this like ridiculous nonsense and him being this plantation owner but jackson is like the worst kind of person (laughs) as far as like what he's what he's what he has to do in this film and like how he's kind of this the the like the the secret he's like the emperor the empire the emperor in all of this like the secret one that's kind of secretly whispering a lot of things into the ears of others um but on the other side of that you have uh jamie fox christoph waltz as these like as these heroes that emerge these bounty hunter heroes and like where this kind of origin story comes from and like how they come together and what it all pays into i i think is massively entertaining but also again a big reflection on what's being said here in the in the realm of what slavery means and like what how it presents the violence and like how these guys are involved in it where the film goes back and forth between presenting this kind of comic book aesthetics when it comes to the bounty hunting and like the heroes in action versus the very real and very 
very graphic violence on display when it comes to how the slaves are treated. And the film doesn't pull any punches in that regard, which I very much respect. I think there's a lot to be said about how one can tackle these kinds of things and what that ultimately means. And it's really interesting to look at as far as Tarantino's work goes in this decade where he ends on this hopeful note when it comes to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But between, but between this and Hateful Eight, which is an even angrier film and really wants you to question some things, there's some fascinating kind of social commentary going on um, that I would not have necessarily expected. But at the same time, in the realm of his kind of history set of films that he's been making with Inglorious Bastards, including from the last decade, uh, there there there's a lot that he seems to want that Tarantino seems to want to explore that I, I really find fascinating in how he's let that come out in his films, not unlike other directors that have also kind of worked out their demons or worked out their kind of issues with the world or their own religion or what have you. I think there there's it's it's neat to see a filmmaker tackle that in such a entertaining way. So yeah, Jangle and Jangle yeah. number four. Cool. All right, number threes. Mark, what's your number three film? All right, continuing with the sci-fi theme, and and some people might say this isn't sci-fi, but I'm going to say it is because it's <laughs> kind of science fiction. Um, but it's Koran's um, Gravity. Uh, with yeah, that's sci-fi. Bullock. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's sci-fi, right? I remember, I remember when it came out, it there was is. like argument around it. Yes, because I remember having lots of these battles at award tickets. It definitely is sci-fi because it's a fiction story right. with a lot of science. Space. Yeah. <laughs> space. Right. So I argue that it's sci-fi with you, Terrence. It's a disaster uh, film. Is I mean. that the definition of sci-fi? I mean, I think so. I think it's right there in the name. Uh, yeah, no, I I loved this film when it came out. I, it's I, it's one of the all-time great theatrical experiences that I've ever had. And uh, I remember just the first time seeing it, just like having a panic attack in the middle of it. And, you know, I, I'm somebody who struggles with anxiety and it was, it was hard to sit through and yet I loved it at the same time. And so seeing it a second time was a little bit more, uh, I, I saw it like the next day actually again and, and just loved it. And uh, it kind of restored to me, you know, when Bullock won the Oscar for the blind side, it was kind of, I was not a big fan of that uh, film or her it's performance. A bad movie. That's that's why. Yeah, it's because it's, it's a bad movie. <laughs> just, yeah, she she was fine, but I think this kind of justified that she was that level of actress because she she really I think is one of the better performances of the decade in it. Um, and again, the score that's kind of one of the common themes I think in my list is the film scores uh, really are. Uh, a big component of what I'm drawn to. And another thing I'm noticing that somebody pointed out earlier was the theme of parenting. I think you guys mentioned it when we talked about arrival, but again, the, the story of the parent um, that that's relevant in a few of my films, including tree of life, arrival, gravity, and, and what I'll get to at number two as well. So yeah, that's my number three. What a tease though. <laughs> 21 on my list. Very fantastic film. Uh, what was that 2013? Right. Uh, yep. Yeah, so that was that was like my number two of that year, I think. But yeah, it just <laughs> an incredible film, um, a great use of of 3D, even for being a film that was converted into 3D. Still, like the way it's designed and structured and everything, it like it oh, has yeah. such a immense way of presenting this disaster scenario that's incredibly gripping and everything, um, and a number of like just iconic like shots and sequences. And uh, yeah, that score 
you said like it's 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 fantastic um a lot to like about gravity for sure terrence what's your number three number three is were it not for the emotional wallop of my one and two choices number three would have been number one this was really hard actually um because i don't have enough distance from it number three is parasite you know um brilliant fantastic amazing wonderful you know epic uh it's really really great you know bong joon i cannot believe that we're only a month removed from it winning best picture um before the world ended (laughs) yeah like it it seemed we were so innocent then um but yeah it's just brilliant and i never knew where it was gonna go and i even after seeing it i'm still like marveling at different aspects of what you know he was able to layer into the story and all of the actors are phenomenal it's just really really great number 20 <laughs> made, it, <laughs> made it that far um, these 20s, yeah. i uh yeah there's there's bong joon ho's had an incredible decade and he he capped it off quite nicely <laughs> having this spectacular film um, totally. that hits a lot of the it's it's a theme that was very popular last year as far as kind of class society um but just uh no good stuff all around i'm curious how i'm curious with more time behind it how where we'll all put it because i had a hard time ranking it too high either and I, I that was my number two of the year i had 1917 ahead of it and both of those films, 1917, I, I talked about in the beginning how it was down to spotlight in one other film from my top 10, and 1917 was that movie for me. And I just I had a hard time putting it in, and, and where I put Parasite, I, I might have higher in two, three years, just because you're afraid to put anything, or at least I was too afraid to put, I think, anything too recent, too high, uh, and, and be too caught up in the moment kind of thing. So. I'm interested to see where that film places five, ten years now from now if we looked back and did the list again. Yeah. Abe, what's your number three? My number three is uh, the writer uh, from 2017, and um, you know I asked this question when I when we reviewed it, but how does a movie like this get made? You know, this is a movie by Chloe Zhao. It's basically a documentary with all the real people whose story is their own, and it's beautifully shot. It's this really moving story and when you get done with it you're just like i really just don't know how this movie gets made like how i'm gonna go find aaron and abe have them act in the movie about how they started the podcast and have it like be picked up by by like uh, was it a24 um sony sony classics. sony sony classics and then just like make it uh, a movie that that hits president obama's top 10 list of the of that year I'm still blown away, but I go back and revisit this. Um, I kind of waiting for like a, a nice copy to, to purchase, but um, I, I really love this movie. It's a great film. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. My number three is Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the Coen brothers had a hell of a decade. <laughs> they made a lot of films I really like, and they even like wrote Bridge of Spies, which I'm not going to, you know, I have, I have lots of great things to say about that movie as well. Um I started this list with like the one of the great Oscar Isaac performances, and now you have like the other incredible Oscar Isaac performance here as Lewin Davis, this down on his luck guy in this realm of music that I have no real emotional connection to. Um, I'm not a, like a you know a folk guy whatsoever, but it has another one of the great soundtracks of the decade because it's a fantastic set of uh, set of songs. 
um, within a very Coen Brothers story. Um, I like that mm-hmm. they went from True Grit, their biggest hit ever, as far as like a box office is concerned, even like, like 10 Oscar nominations. It was like a huge hit in all respects. And they're like, all right, now let's do this kind of really less showy, less audience-friendly movie about this acerbic guy that's like stuck not succeeding ever and just make that like, you know, wildly entertaining. And it is. It does everything that I like in a Coen Brothers movie. It's incredibly well shot. It has this weird sense of humor about it. It tells a journey that ultimately kind of goes nowhere, um, which is weird how many Coen Brothers films ultimately go nowhere in the scheme of things. <laughs> but, uh, but they still feel like mini epics. Um, yeah. They're, uh, they're, you know, we there's... It's there's actually like a, this their second version of like the Odyssey after O Brother Where Art Thou. There's a lot of like similar things there. Um, the along of Oscar Isaac, you have like uh, Carrie Mulligan, John Goodman, Garrett Hedlund, Adam Driver, Timberlake. Uh, there's so you know a lot of just great memorable characters here. The the winter the wintry look of this film and the way snow plays. I love how snow looks in this film. Uh, for Bruno Dobinell's cinematography, it's. A fantastic, like well put together movie, uh, and it, it, the way it kind of opens and closes is so like wonderful in terms of like watching that for the first, let alone watching it in subsequent viewings, but watching it for the first time and just seeing this kind of an understanding you think you have, and then you get to the end and it just like makes you sit back and just kind of like think about that and process it, mm-hmm. which is what I can say for a lot of the best Coen Brothers films. So yeah, Inside Llewyn Davis. Uh, F. Murray Abraham with like one of like the hardest lines that I was mm-hmm. not expecting in the movie. I was like, yeah. oh damn! I was like, shit. All right, number two films of the decade. Mark Johnson, what do you got? So again, when I got down to it, these my top two were. Uh, I went back and forth for like a good week or so with which one to put there. Even as I was doing my countdown on Facebook and Instagram, I kind of kept playing with should I flip these. But in the end, I, I went with the one that I did at number one because I think that's the one I I love the most. Uh, but number two for me was right there behind it. It's, again, sci-fi. It's, again, dealing with the theme of parenting and and whatnot as well, although that's maybe more of a minor theme. Uh, but I have uh, Chris Nolan's Inception, uh, number two. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it does the job. <laughs> that was not what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> oh, no. What did you think? No, I love Inception. I just okay. I'm I'm surprised it's that high on your list. So that's yeah. fascinating. Uh, Is that I'm the last be... Nolan film that you love, Terrence? Um, yeah, because what came after that, Interstellar and Dunkirk? Yeah, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Which I know you're you're not as big of a fan of because you like being wrong. Um... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I loved Interstellar up until Anne Hathaway was trying to tell me that the reason why they should go to a planet is because of love. Um, <laughs> we got two hours then. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, yeah, Inception is great. <laughs> nice. Well, Terrence, what's your number two? My number two is Weekend, um, the Andrew High movie from 2011. Mm-hmm. So my number one and number two are both from the same year. Um, 2011 is a great year for movies. Uh, and Weekend is the story of, you know, two men hooking up over a weekend um, and becoming closer all the while. Uh, Andrew High loves to leave you feeling super melancholy. And every time I think about this movie, I just think about how the end left me so melancholy. But it's so brilliant. The script is, like, 
76 pages. I actually read it. I went to the Academy archives. Like Ooh. he devastated like my entire life in 76 pages, <laughs> you know? So it just, it's really, really well made. It's on the criterion collection. Um, if you want to check it out. All right. I love that. I love that you uh, did all the legwork to go to the archives and, and read it. Aaron, Aaron just sent me like a coffee table book. Yeah. <laughs> make things easier for you right yeah. thanks Aaron <laughs> hey what's your number two my number two is from 2010 it is the social network Mark Johnson you sort of talked about this earlier but I mean if there was a movie that was more important to the 2010s a movie about Facebook is probably it um, when I think about this movie and the themes that it was going for you know I, th- I sort of think about Wall Street too um, from Money Oliver Never Stone. No, no, not that one. <laughs> but uh, Shia is probably great now, I'm sure. But uh, no, there was uh, Wall Street with Charlie Sheen. And, you know, I remember people were like, Oliver Stone was like, this is a movie supposed to say, like, you shouldn't do this. You know, this is bad for the economy. You shouldn't be like this dick stockbroker and make a ton of money and do drugs. And the social network is kind of similar in that, like, hey, by the way, uh, this these people made these things out of like uh, fear or hate or like you know needing a need to like be seen and heard uh, and and you know try and learn from them and then just this massive explosion of all these tech companies uh, from these 25 to 30 year olds still now too that are still prevalent here in like you know San Francisco Bay Area and it's pretty fascinating I mean the line that I always think about in this movie is in the opening uh, I wrote it down here. But it's uh, I need to do something substantial in order to get the attention of one of the clubs because they're exclusive and fun and they lead to a better life. And just the hunger to be somebody and to be rich in this past decade. You've seen it in the explosion of YouTube, these influencers, Instagram, TikTok, whatever the case is. It's it's just so prevalent. You know, it, the ideas of this movie have gone beyond the, the page itself. And it's just I, I think the social network is is probably like one of the most important movies of, of this past decade just to like look back on it and be like, we started from this and we worried about this guy. And all of a sudden it's just like, it's so ubiquitous. Love it. Yeah. My number two is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, George Miller somehow went through like 25 years of ideas for this movie, trying to make this movie being delayed on this movie only to make one of the best action movies ever made. And it's incredible. Um, it is an incredible accomplishment all around, and it's deceptively smart in its storytelling um, as far as what the kind of main goal is on a visceral level and what the characters are trying to accomplish while still managing to you know, bring in various themes um, in, in, in involving women, involving independence, involving... And kind of society as a whole, all kinds of uh, different aspects of what you can take away from a story like this. Um, and that's, I mean, that's great stuff to think about and talk about and write about. But at the same time, it's also just a spectacular action movie. It's the kind of thing mm-hmm. where, you know, we can talk all day about the accomplishment of various dramas and what have you and what they mean and like how solid the performances are. And the performances are here are just as amazing. But looking at what's accomplished in the five the the 500 hours of film that rightfully won a best editing oscar because of how it was all constructed to come together um it speaks a lot to what a filmmaker that's operating on the highest of levels can make out of what seems like chaos and become something brilliant 
there was a great interview with Steven Soderbergh I read about how he just he doesn't understand how Miller could do this. Like he, it does. Like he's not that filmmaker. He could never do what was accomplished here because of <laughs> the kind of effort that it needs to take and the kind of you know the kind of thinking you have to do to visualize all of this in your mind, shoot all of this, and then make that happen. And it stands to reason that, like, yeah, I don't know what else, whether filmmaker could come close to doing something like this. Um, mm-hmm. And and nobody dying in the making of this film, which is just ridiculous, enough, <laughs> given, like, how practical all of these chases were and the weird designs for cars they made and everything. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean... In, in fleshing out further fleshing out the the world of, of fire <laughs> like it, it it's remarkable to watch and has some set pieces that i'll never forget um and it's just so colorful like we have so many like sour like dour washed out crap action movies and this one's like this big bright colorful musical that just you know happens to be an action film <laughs> so it's yeah, it's amazing top to bottom. And yeah, the Junkie XL score is spectacular as well. Like just wonderful yeah. to listen to. Really get you going. Um, and how many other movies get a black and chrome edition, right? I mean Logan, right? That's the <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, that's that's what I call it. The Logan, the black, the black I, I and chrome edition. Had thoughts on, yeah, I had thoughts they're, on that too. Uh, they released the that. they released the black and chrome uh, parasite back into theaters, but we still had theaters. Remember those? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> You mentioned like shots of this movie. I just I will always remember Tom Hardy like swinging up as that explosion the frame. happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I don't know how George Miller, like I don't know how any director could make that movie, let alone somebody of of his age. But he the the direction of that is really phenomenal. Yeah, I mean the the shot that also sticks with me too is not even like an action shot. It's actually just it's nighttime and you just see like that weird guy on stilts and you're just like yeah this is a different world. Like he's just yeah. walking like mudlands or whatever. Yeah, there's yeah, it's there's like, just people in the background like there's a world here. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're it's watching so, this chase it's so go on. It's like oh, Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> Mondays. Where's Ellen Aguilera? <laughs> Mondays. Before we get to um, our number ones, I want to read some of our listeners and some and some guests um, submissions for their kind of best films of the decade here. Um, uh, from Chris, he writes, um, Mad Max Fury Road, The Lobster, Grand Budapest Hotel, Avengers Endgame, Hereditary, Parasite, Holy Motors, and Moonlight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Gentry, friend of the show, he has Avengers, Tree of Life, Mad Max Fury Road, Moonlight are all on his list. Uh, Yancey Burns, friend of the show, writes, Margaret, Inherent Vice, It's Such a Beautiful Day, The Irishman, Tree of Life, Inside Out, A Separation, Life of Pi, Inside Lewin Davis, and Boyhood. And my lovely girlfriend, who, <laughs> based off the fact that we have to all be social distancing she's unfortunately not here with me to celebrate this warranted episode where we go over the decade but she wrote a number of films here all representing the various years um and i'll just read them in order she has inception hugo midnight in paris amazing spider-man paper man all is lost whiplash chef brooklyn la la land dunkirk phantom thread free solo mission impossible fallout 1917 and jojo rabbit so yeah just want to go through some nice various lists here that we got uh, submitted over our way uh but now yeah. let's let's get to our number one films of uh, the decade, Mark Johnson. What's your number one film? It's La La Land. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to introduce that any more than than just saying it, because I've probably for four years been saying that that's my number one of the decade. So it, I mentioned it, it got down to going back and forth between this and Inception, and I just couldn't go away from it. I, I love that movie. I think um, you know we talked about best scores of the the decade with Cloud Atlas. I think the La La Land one is right up there as well. Yeah. Um, I I think the ending, <clears throat> more than anything in this movie, 
is what really cements it to me as a movie that I think is going to be around for a while. I think uh, when I think of movie, movie endings like Casablanca or Chinatown or Planet of the Apes, I, I think I think the ending here is is that powerful um, and that magical, I guess, for lack of a better word. So La La Land it is. That's my number one. How many times have you seen it, Mark? Um, maybe six. Okay. Yeah. Chicken on a Stick. That's a great track. <laughs> or right? I, I listen to that soundtrack all the time. And yeah. that score all the time. Yeah, yeah I love the score. Well, I've probably seen it that number of times as well. Um, 41. I mean, it was very... I mean, it's it's a fantastic... 41? 40, jeez. That's pretty high. <laughs> Yeah, Aaron's a tough grader. We gotta. I, I want to see. <laughs> oh this list. no, I mean, I thought I was. I'm excited that he has it that that high yeah. as in that close to one. I I it, didn't think it, it'd be as high. It moved. I mean, it was my number. It was in my top five of that year. Like it, it that, that, year, was a, that was that was there was a lot of good stuff to like go through. We had a great year. <laughs> like, that was, that, yeah, that to yeah, me yeah. is. I mentioned earlier. I think there's there's two years that were my personal favorites for the decade. And that's 2010, uh, and then my number one is 2016, which had Arrival, La La Land. Um, Moonlight, right? So it's just a great year. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of great there, uh, for sure. But yeah, La La Land. I mean, I I do agree with you as far as things that'll kind of like stand out in the future. And there's a, that that whole ending sequence is fantastic, and the score itself is incredible. All around, there's a lot of great things about La La Land. Uh, Terrence, what's your number one? My number one film of the decade, and my number one film of all time. Uh, is a separation. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, nice. I forgot how much you like that one. That's. I went to see it on the recommendation of Nathaniel Rogers from the Film Experience. Um, I was in New York for my birthday, and I was like, "Oh, I'll just go check out this movie." Um, and like, I thought about it every day for like five years. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, legitimately something from that movie popped into my mind every day for that long. Um, yeah. It just, Ascar Fahadi is just brilliant. Um, the script of that movie, the like moral quandary, it's really, really fascinating to see religion in other areas of the world and how that affects things. Like I never, like the separation is never getting made here, you know, for instance, um, in the United States. And I think that's what made it even more special for me was to get that inside look and glimpse um, in the way he just sort of weaves the rest of the story around this one particular incident. Um, it's just really great. It's a film that floored me when I saw it as far as like wh- where it starts from where it goes. And it's a thriller in its own way, despite being this incredibly grounded human drama. And I, I really love how it, things unfold from it and what it is able to accomplish. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great movie. Abe, what's your number one? My number one movie, you guys talked about it on, on all your lists as well, is uh, Moonlight. Um, I've seen this movie about five or six times. Um, it is a movie that has continued to grow on me. I remember watching it the first time in theaters uh, with an audience, and I was like, okay, well, I guess that was the movie that everyone was talking about. Um, and then I watched it again and again and again, and just there's so many layers to peel back on this, you know, being black in America, absentee fathers, being gay and black in America, the whole entire th- notion of like, 
um, absentee mothers to some degree. And it's like just how you're raised is is terrible. And I, you know, there's like scenes in this movie where I was like, yeah, I can relate, uh, you know, more or less just like some terrible clothes and just like having high waters and terrible shoes because uh, I come from poor backgrounds. But it's like one of those things where it's like I have seen this movie and there's just so much to take away from this and the cinematography is great the more that i read about it mm. uh, if barry jenkins is true it's just like it's a single camera that he's using the whole time so it's like that's fantastic you know just like gung-hoing it and making it your own um writing this uh, immense script from like a short story and having these characters and actors that i believe are the same character uh, they're all chiron and it's just fascinating just to see this expansion through time um, and then, you know, devastating performances from everybody. And I was, I was a hundred percent sure when I, even when I saw it in theaters, I was like a hundred percent sure when I saw Mahershala Ali's table speech, I was like, this guy's winning the Oscar. I, I just mm-hmm. said, said to myself right then and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the moonlight is, is a movie that I just have tremendous respect for. I'll watch it whenever it's on, uh, whenever I, I'm bored and I might just like turn it on, I'll just keep watching it. But there's just so much to unpack in this movie. And maybe it's not, maybe it's, I'm just making it up myself, like all these themes and whatever else myself but it's just that that masterful i think that is the only movie that made all four of our lists in the top yeah, nine, I've, been, yeah. I've been trying to keep like a, a track yeah it's, i think that that is so the that's, only movie that's made. that would be our consensus number one as well though. <laughs> so you, you win i did it <laughs> you did it uh air what is your number one my number one is a social network um what you've described about it is absolutely true as far as a movie that just really represents the decade and how things have gone forward. I this would be this would be the film that I'd be most excited about if a sequel was announced because of everything that's happened <laughs> since the social network. Like I can't I, imagine the sequel, but that'd be I, I'm all for it. I, I know Aaron Sorkin has <laughs> talked about it as far no as kidding. Like, yeah, there'd be there'd oh, be plenty wow. to do. And um, okay. I, I would I would love to see that happen. But regardless, wow. this this movie and I talked about this way at the beginning, but in addition to all the things that it accomplishes on a writing standpoint and at a direction level with David Fincher doing tremendous work to, you know, bring in the sensibilities that he has from his other films and make something that's, you know, you know, seemingly lighter, but still just as dark as far as the characters, it's the rewatchability. I saw this movie twice in two days. It came out on Friday, on a Friday. I saw it on Friday. Then I saw it again on Saturday. I, I, I think it's absolutely brilliant in, everything that it accomplishes. It has a, a fantastic performance from uh, Jesse Eisenberg along with the rest of the cast. I mean, Army Hammer made a name for himself by playing two of him in this movie. Um, right. But Eisenberg is such a a great force. Um, I don't know if you call him an anti-hero or a villain or what have you. Certainly in the time now, it'd be a little different. But I mean, the, the way the film presents his character and how we come to understand what he, what kind of machine of a person he is and what all of this has led to and the, it all it's all incredibly effective the the fact that it works as this kind of like screwball comedy to a point i i think is wonderful it, and that speaks to how strong the script is where you can get into some like serious subject matter what have you but you still have this kind of rhythm to everything that really pays off as far as the character interactions go and it also speaks to how great the editing is for this movie uh, it's such a well-edited movie that has to co- cover various timelines and make it all like fit together since you have multiple depositions taking place at the same time as the kind of flashback story being presented to everybody and mm-hmm. uh, the score this was like the beginning of the uh, the the Atticus Ross um, Trent Reznor 
Trent Re- yeah, thank you. Trent Reznor like collaborations in film, and it's my. I mean, we've talked about a lot of scores on this episode, and this is this is the one I've listened to the most in the in the past decade. It's a great. It's a one. It's a great one to write to for one thing, but um, no, it's just everything about this movie uh, is spectacular, and I look forward to David Venture making movies again. That said, he's had a he, he's been busy enough between this and Gone Girl making that Netflix too. money. Making that Netflix money with Mind Hunters, and he did. He directed the first two episodes of House of Cards when that was a thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's still making still making that Netflix money. He's got Mank coming, which is still a Netflix film. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, just everything Social Network was a. It it stood out very. It was coming up with like the the top like five of these films. Like I'm pretty sure what's gonna land here, and uh, yeah, it, it came down to. Right. The, especially Mad, Mad Max and Social Network were like, yeah, these are going to be at the top of the list here for me. So Terrence, where where, where was uh, Social Network for you? Because I think the other the, the rest of us had it in our ten. Did you rank it somewhere in your hundred? Social Network is my number fifteen. Okay. Oh dang! So that I almost wonder if that would be consensus number one when you averaged out the the numbers. But those where, that's like where it landed. Yeah. But those two for you is like number three. It's my five. Five. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's mm, yeah. That's it's pretty high. But yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's good. All right. Well, we've gone over our top ten films of the decade, which was uh very cool. Okay, so where you are in this recording right now, we've just finished up our top ten of the decade, and with that, we recorded quite a bit after this, and so we're just we we've uh, decided to kind of turn it into two separate episodes where the second half is going to follow up with a lot of recap of the decade as in general. Um, but for now, we wanted to wrap this episode up here. But with that being said, because it's our 400th episode, uh, we just wanted to, you know, take a minute to, you know, to, to, to specify how like Abe and I've been doing this for just over nine years now and have had a lot of fun doing it. And we just want to say a thank you to like the listeners for, you know, staying with it, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, completely. And again, a huge thank you to everybody who's been with us since our Google Voice recording days uh, into now, where we actually have some equipment that makes it sound like we might be uh, aware of what we're doing. But yeah, it's it's incredible just to have you know four episodes um, that are labeled. Uh, yeah, we, we know have we certainly have much more. We know we have much much more uh, based off the bonus episodes we've been doing. But yeah, it's, yeah, bonus episodes, nights, commentaries, etc. But yeah, it, it's it's been a process. It's certainly something that uh, we just enjoy doing. Um, so if you ever want to sponsor us, Netflix, feel free to. But otherwise, we're gonna keep going. And a good special thanks to, you know, all the various guests that have been with us over the years as well. We know we have some, you know, some stalwarts that have been here since the beginning, some newer people that have come on and since, you know, been a big presence in this. And I would love to give a huge shout out to my lovely girlfriend who's, you know, been an active participant at various times as well as been a huge champion of the show. It, I, I miss having her with me right now. To be, I wish she could be here to like be like looking at me, giving me funny faces or whatnot while we record, you know, this massive 400th episode uh, because that would just make me feel all the more comfortable especially in the times we're in right now but i mean as a whole yeah it, it's great it's great to have anna with me but it's also great to just yeah have a lot of variety of you know different people talking about movies i think that's something abe and i have been really happy about in doing this podcast is the fact that it's you know it's 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 us talking about movies because we like doing that but also getting to 
represent a lot of voices that are in the critical community you know people that are you know some some that are higher up as far as the, the kind of acclaim or what have you that comes with the position they in in their job let alone you know some people that are just bloggers or some that just really like talking about movies that you know have a chance to kind of put it out there on a, on a wider spectrum so you know uh, very happy to be you know able to kind of give a chance for others to speak about you know the films that they love and whatnot Great. So now we're going to move into part two uh, of our two-parter 400 episode. Uh, But again, this first part was our top tens, and we'll move into a discussion about the decade coming up. Mm -hmm. 